Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada you don't take yada yada in life don't take yada yada from your wireless provider metro by t-mobile has no contracts no credit checks no surprises and nada yada yada stop by one of over six thousand metro stores nationwide this episode is brought to you by alienware during dell tech fest score game-changing innovations with limited time deals on select next-gen alienware gaming tech new dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the alienware m18 laptop powered by an intel core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals liquid cooling three-dimensional audio with dolby atmos and impressive overclocking potential your dream setup amazing prices and free shipping await you for a limited time only Alienware.com slash deals. That's Alienware.com slash deals. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noah. They call me Ben. You, of course, are you, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Today, we're delving into a conspiracy, not a conspiracy theory, more than 100 years old, and it's one that still affects the world today. Something that sounds like a story just ripped straight from some kind of Tom Clancy political thriller, but it actually happened. Yeah, in a lot of ways, it's really about this bigger idea that a single person can, for better or worse, actually change the world. It's like what your mom told you, only true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, so travel back with us, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Welcome to the early 20th century. There are all sorts of dramatic breakthroughs in technology. There are all sorts of uh, fundamentally historic human moments. But unbeknownst to most, the world was inching closer and closer to a deadly global conflict. And it's what we today refer to as World War I. What was World War I, you ask? Well, we shall tell you, starting with the fact that World War I began in July of 1914 and lasted until November of 1918. And during that time, Germany... Austria-Hungary, Bulgaria, and the Ottoman Empire, also known as the Central Powers, fought against Great Britain, France, Russia, Italy, Romania, Japan, and the United States, a.k.a. the Allied Powers. And thanks to a lot of this new technology that been alluded to earlier, we're talking about trench warfare, mustard gas, uh, all kinds of uh, the types of tank that mm -hmm. you could build at mm -hmm. that time. Now, it saw unprecedented levels, World War One did, of carnage and just human destruction. Just utter, utter inhumane brutality. Yeah, atrocities. Mm -hmm. And by the time this conflict was over, the Allied powers claimed victory, uh, but it's at best a Pyrrhic victory because yeah. we're talking about a death toll of more than 16 million people, civilians and soldiers alike. I mean, with the technology that we have now and the way we can target airstrikes, 
our casualty rates just pale in comparison mm-hmm. to what we're talking about here. I mean, this was just astronomical numbers. Oh, buddy, if you think that European political relations are complicated and screwy now, are you in for a wild ride? In the early 20th century, Europe was very much a continent in transition with a quagmire of ever-shifting alliances, rival powers, and often contradictory aims. And when when we say, like, a continent in transition, there were powerhouse economies like Austria-Hungary and Germany— And then there were places like Poland, and this is a war where occasionally there would be a group of people with tanks and a group of people on horses. Yeah. Which is very strange. Sounds like time travel gone wrong. Uh, Even now, a hundred years later, a century more later, scholars and historians continue to debate the causes of this war. We have a little overview for you of some of the most often cited contributing factors. One of the biggest ones is this concept of mutual defense agreements. So Mm. countries that have signed contracts, treaties between them, where if one nation gets attacked, the other one will step in to defend it. Mm. Um, So you've got all these allied countries that were required through these contractual agreements Mm. to defend other countries. Um, There were all kinds of alliances, Russia and Serbia. Okay. Germany and Mm Austria-Hungary, France and Russia, Britain and France and Belgium, Mm -hmm. and Japan and Britain. And you can already see, or you can imagine, with all of these different uh, groups, if a single one of these gets attacked, it's going to create this lethal domino effect. Yeah, and and several are on multiple lists, right? Like Russia is on two lists. They have an agreement with Serbia and France. Mm -hmm. So I don't talk about too much of my past, but as you guys know, I was at a time uh, very close to joining the State Department Mm -hmm. before what I would call irreconcilable creative differences led us apart. And one of the the things that always got me is, although international relations are very, very complicated, there is one or two, there are a, a couple of great analogies. And one is... Although it can be daunting to hear all these names thrown around, mm-hmm. don't picture these countries as nations. Picture the world as a house party. Yeah. And every nation is a person at this house party. And there's a limited amount of beer or chips. And everybody's making deals with each other to say how they're going to divide the stuff up, right? Yeah. And inevitably... Are there ruffles? Something goes wrong. Well, of course there are ruffles, man. This is big time. Is there onion dip? I, you know, that's a good question. Is it homemade? <laughs> you got to be careful with onion dip. You know, it's not, they're not, not all onion dips are created equal. And if you have a good recipe for one, do send it to us. Now, surely you can probably huh. onion dip into this uh, description here. Sure. Yeah. Onion dip would be uh, another, another resource. Let's say onion dip was, uh, onion dip would be like oil in that case, right? No, beer is oil, dude. Beer's oil? Yeah, because there's so much beer at this house party. Okay, all right. And they're running out. And they're running out. And you can already see, as Matt said, this lethal domino effect. So what happened in uh, World War One is it's going to sound a little bit complicated, and we do want to make sure everybody knows when we say Austria-Hungary, it's with a hyphen mm-hmm. because that was one country. Yes. All right. So Austria-Hungary declared war on Serbia. Russia got involved because they're tight with Serbia. Germany saw Russia mobilizing, and they declared war on Russia. And then France had to had to hang out because they have an agreement with Russia. And so they were going against Germany and Austria-Hungary. Germany attacked France through Belgium, and when Belgium got pulled in, that meant that Britain had to go in. And then Japan was like, also me. And then later, Italy and the U.S. would enter, but not at the beginning. That's mm-hmm. just That's just one illustration. That's just one contributing factor, and there are other ones, too. I think the U.S. also kind of has always, even like in World War II, had this sense that, oh, this isn't for us. This is, we're mm-hmm. not, this is the, everybody else's problem. Yeah. We're kind of listening to it on the radio and hanging back, but then there's this sense that, oh, crap, maybe, maybe we are going to get pulled into this mess. And then, mm-hmm. of course, inevitably, that's what happens. Yeah, we're very much an isolationist country for a long time. <laughs> I'm totally just imagining the house party yeah. in the U.S. just being like, bro, bro, what are you doing, bro? Mm-hmm. And then going in. They have, to, they have to get involved. Well, the U.S. is also... Get your hands off my Yeti, bro! <laughs> the U.S. is also uh, separated by two oceans and resource-rich. So at yeah. this party, they're like, 
in somebody else's room, <laughs> eating their own food, rubbing their own Yeti. Mm. They're like, wow, it sounds rough out there. Yeah, rubbing your Yeti is not a euphemism. Yeah, what is a Yeti? It's a it's a fancy cooler. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. But now that phrase, rubbing their own Yeti, is going to stick with people. Yep. Hey, what's imperialism? <laughs> Good question, Ben. I'm glad you asked. As it turns out, imperialism is a whole lot like a Yeti cooler. Not at all, though. Before World War I, you see, Africa and parts of Asia were uh, points of contention in, um, well, among, rather, the European countries. So mm-hmm. many European countries, they sought to expand their spheres of influence by building empires. So uh, with the U.S. functioning as an independent entity all on its own in that isolationist way we just described, Europeans were forced to make trade deals with us, the U.S., which uh, at the time, and you know, continues to be quite resource-rich. This is an important source of mm-hmm. natural resources for some of these other countries. So rather than enjoying the advantages of mercantilism, they had to deal. Mm-hmm. With, like with peers. Right. So, mm-hmm. right. Uh, in, in African and Asian societies, however, this meant that they would continue to bear the brunt of brutal colonial actions, resource extraction. Why pay for uh, a mine or give people a living wage when you can go in and plunder and murder them? You know, I used to be in a hardcore band called Brutal Colonial Action. Oh, yeah? Totally. What what instrument did you play? The the musket. You played the musket? Oh, yeah, I'm familiar with your work, man. Takes a long time to play a note. And now uh, it really does. Yeah, it's like the, it's like you're the guy with the cymbals who's all in every large orchestra who's just waiting yeah. for that shot. They weren't using muskets in World War One. Yeah, you I'm know. Not, I, 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 We're just time traveling, man. It's cool. Mm-hmm. Stuff right gets you know, stuff gets like woven in. I guarantee you someone had a musket. <laughs> I guarantee you, you're not gonna yeah. throw away a perfectly good musket. So true. So the raw materials and the resources these places could provide were seen as crucial to many European nations, not just for expansion, but Mm -hmm. for maintenance and functioning, right? And this increasing competition, this desire for larger and larger empires led to an increase in military confrontations and skirmishes, which leads us to another cause, militarism. An arms race began at the dawn of the 20th century. By 1914, Germany had the largest buildup Great Britain and Germany really significantly increased their naval forces. And, and this is very important, in Germany and Russia especially, the military became uh, an increasingly dominant force in politics and public policy, exerting massive influence. And remember, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yeah, and then comes in this wonderful thing called nationalism that is a double-edged sword Uh, but it can do great things as well. Um, So each of these separate nations Mm -hmm. wants to be the big potato. Uh, That's not a thing, but... (laughs) The big potato? (laughs) The biggest potato of the bunch. Yeah. Uh, You know, they want to have the largest amount of influence, Mm -hmm. uh, resource control, Mm -hmm. economic wealth within their country, and all kinds of trade with other countries. Yeah. Make the most delicious wedges. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they they have, like, the sour cream and the chives. (laughs) Yes. They want to be the big cheese potato. Uh, So... Past past wars and all these battles that have mm. occurred throughout history up until this time had drawn all these national borders. But in various countries, there are ethnic minorities mm. that consider themselves unfairly lumped into one of these nations, like under control of perhaps laws that they don't right. agree with because that line got drawn. Would that be similar to like the Israeli-Palestinian issue? It would be. It would be similar because there would be people who – in the in in the United Nations, maybe maybe a, another example would be like the Balkans. But in the mm-hmm. United Nations uh, viewing of a country, uh, it it just goes by what everybody else agreed forms yes. the borders of that country. And for instance, in parts of the African continent, the borders were specifically and purposely drawn to separate concentrations of communities or tribes, right? Yeah. And that's where you go. That's where you arrive at things like um, this, the war in Rwanda, yep. where the Hutu and the Tutsi uh, had a, a brutal, brutal war. That's a yeah. I get that, Ben. That's a great example. It's also kind of like in India, the border regions of India and Pakistan. There's all kinds of conflicts that occur there because of some of these differences. I'll tell you what, though, that ceremony uh, where they close yes. and open the gate is amazing. 
one of my favorite YouTube things mm-hmm. to do. It's 15 minutes long and it's worth every second. So specifically, much of the origin of World War I was based on the desire of Slavic people in Bosnia and Herzegovina to break off from the country of Austria-Hungary and become part of a greater mm-hmm. united Serbia. Because they're like, why are you in control? We're Serbian. Yep. Uh, we're not Austrian, you know. But there was one more thing, a match to the powder keg. With all these burgeoning tensions, rivalries, and races for riches, it seemed Europe was teetering on the brink of calamity. And all it would take is one more push. Boop. That was the push. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, like, actually, it was more like... That push, yeah. yeah, exactly, was the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand on the 28th of June in 1914. Can we just take this opportunity real quick to say that Franz Ferdinand was a pretty underrated band? Whatever happened to those guys? Are they still mm. around? I wonder if they listen to the show. They've got to be around. You think so? Yeah. Sure. They're probably still what, in contact with each other. What about the Arctic Monkeys? Oh, I'm they're sh- definitely together. They, they had a huge album just a year or two, a couple <laughs> years ago. Yeah. And I, I think that one guy might go solo. The the lead... Uh, the monkey? The main monkey? The main monkey. Yep. <laughs> well, anyway, this band that in, in, we're talking about yeah. took their name from Archduke Franz Ferdinand, who was assassinated on the 28th of June in 1914. Mm-hmm. And while many of the circumstances leading to the war were totally in place at this point, um, and the war may have, at this point, ultimately been considered to be inevitable, the death of this single elite mm-hmm. aristocrat mm-hmm. was the match that lit the fuse of aforementioned powder keg. Yes, the feather that broke the camel's back, the penny that shattered the train station. The badger that (laughs) broke out of the bag and Mm -hmm. massacred Mm -hmm. everyone. Yeah. Yep, the final potato that got microwaved a little too long. Nope, nope, not that one. (laughs) No, keep it. The dog who kept barking at the son of Sam. All right, so (laughs) this death was the result of one of the Western world's most significant conspiracies. Have you heard of the Black Hand? Well, you will hear about it right after a word from our sponsor. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Before I found Zigazoo, I believed all social media was inappropriate for kids. But I feel great about my kids being on Zigazoo. Videos are moderated by actual people before being added to the feed. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about mean comments on your kids' videos. And you need parental consent before joining Zigazoo. Bottom line, it's a space that prioritizes data safety for kids. Oh, but don't take my word for it. Zigazoo is KidSafe COPPA certified. So weigh everything Zigazoo has to offer. Maybe you'll zigzag too. Zigazoo, a social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then you found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was uh, tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life. And you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. We are revisiting the public school culture wars. What have we learned from the kids who fought against book bans? We really started the club to get students reading these books. Students have an opinion in this fight, too. How has the war over books sparked a backlash to the so-called parents' rights movement? It's not okay what they're doing, and they're being watched. Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish. Streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. 
Welcome, Allison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Allison. Thank you. Here's where it gets crazy. The Black Hand, also known as Unification or Death, was a secret military society formed in May of 1911 by officers in the army of the Kingdom of Serbia. Uh, they were hellbent, or leather, on uniting all of the territories with a South Slavic majority not ruled by either uh, Serbia or Montenegro. The precursor of this secret group had already assassinated the Serbian royal couple in 1903. Both the Black Hand and its precursor were led by a fellow named Captain Dragutin Dimitrevic, uh, often called by the codename Apis, which is a god from Egyptian mythology. And I do want to say that none of us are Serbian, so mm-hmm. we are not going to pronounce these names as native speakers. Yes, Thank you, Ben. You are correct. So what is this Black Hand conspiracy, Although, other than sounding like an amazing band name? Well, okay, so then you have to go back to 1911, and that's when this group tried to assassinate Franz Joseph. He was the current, at that time, ruler of Austria-Hungary. This dude, he's an old gentleman, he's in his 80s, and for a couple of reasons, they failed. And then they turned their attention to this dude's heir, who was Franz Ferdinand. Yes. Uh, this, is, this is a tricky part of history. So Apis, Apis, mm-hmm. the captain, the leader of the Black Hand, wanted Franz Ferdinand dead not because he was oppressing the Slavic mm-hmm. minority living in his kingdom under his rule, but because he was planning to make important concessions to the South Slavs that he controlled. This would make the Black Hand's dream of a unified Serbia much, much more difficult. Why would you throw a revolution if your home country is making improvements on its own? Yeah, they're just seeing or they're imagining they're going to be these small incremental moves, right? That it's going to mm-hmm. take, I don't know, decades, maybe centuries sure. to get what they want. Let's do it quickly. Pull that Band-Aid off. And the Black Hand was not acting alone. They worked in concert with another group named Norodna Odbrana, and its satellite organizations, particularly a group named Young Bosnia. Naroda Adbrona was older and more established, so this gave the Black Hand massive street cred. So by 1914, um, the conspiracy uh, had enlarged to a membership including hundreds of individuals, many of whom were officers in the Serbian army. Uh, they trained guerrilla fighters and taught saboteurs uh, similar in many ways to the way current intelligence agencies train revolutionaries in other countries. And mm-hmm. it's not easy to keep an international revolutionary terrorist freedom fighter organization uh, ring a secret. It's hard. Mm-hmm. It takes the work of many. So members had very little knowledge of the overall organization. Uh, it was on a need-to-know basis. They would know only the member of their cell and one superior who gave them orders. Yeah, it feels a lot like uh, secret societies that we looked into in the past. Mm. Or possibly the way modern-day terrorist cells are operating. Even the government, the military, like, you may not know who's functioning. They're called cells because they're self-contained. And they don't have a line to others. They cannot give information that would lead to the capture of anyone outside of their little unit. And they can function independently. So this, you know, this is uh, a very successful strategy. Mm -hmm. There's a reason people stick with it. The Serbian government, it seems, was aware of this force, aware of the Black Hand and at least some of its activities, though they may not have known exactly how many people who were supposed to be working for the government were working for the Black Hand. This became a nightmarish time to be a member of the official government because once upon a time, it was politically dangerous to disagree with the Black Hand, like disagreeing with a powerful lobbying group and still wanting to be in politics here. But by 1914, it was physically dangerous because this group saw politically motivated murders as just another tool, like out there with, uh, you know, pamphlets. They, oh, and distributed yeah. some pamphlets, and 
we had to shoot this one guy. Don't worry. We made sure everybody knew it was us. You ever handled Jeez. a pamphlet, man? Those edges will nick mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. They are dangerous. Oh, yeah. I'm sure there's a statistic about how many people are grievously injured by pamphlets. <laughs> if not, then just us putting out into the aether will mean that it is now created. Uh-oh. Someone's going to write back to us with information about pamphlets. Oh, my gosh. Send us a pamphlet about pamphlets. Any pamphlets will do. Send them our way. So it's con- commonly believed but you that... you better use legitimate postage. Oh, yeah, which we'll get to later in this episode. <laughs> yes, um, we will. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, now it is believed that Apis recruited six Bosnian Serbs for, for this assassination attempt, and he was really hoping to exterminate Franz Ferdinand before uh, he improved, like we said, the life mm. for the Serbs in Austria-Hungary. And these six men were smuggled across the border in an arrangement similar to that of the famous Underground Railroad. Mm -hmm. And they were trained in bomb making, Mm -hmm. deployment, and marksmanship. And now, although the prime minister attempted to stop these guys from leaving the country, the official government was largely helpless when attempting to oppose these guys, the the black hand in general. And it had eaten all of the power structure that existed in the country from within. The black hand was like this rocked that was occurring. It was a deep state. Yeah. is a term we would use today, right? Mm-hmm. To this day, scholars don't agree on how sincere the prime minister's efforts were. Was he really, uh, was it really a matter of him having his hands tied or was he more like Gene Wilder and Willy Wonka going, oh, no, stop, help, please. You know? <laughs> don't fall in the chocolate. Well, one thing's for sure. The, the men, the six terrorists arrived in Sarajevo and kicked it for a month waiting for the time to strike, and absolutely nothing was done to stop them. you got to remember, it's a little harder to track human <clears throat> beings at this time, right? Mm-hmm. Just to give a little bit of that. Like, no hey. GPS? Yeah. And- uh, yeah, and like, let's look at the day off. So a month passes. One of the terrorists, a fellow named Nadelko, was the first to act. He threw a bomb at the Archduke's car. There was a guy who was supposed to throw a bomb earlier, but for some reason he didn't do it. Mm-hmm. So he... Th- Through the bomb, the Archduke, uh, who was with his pregnant wife at the time, uh, tried to cover her. The driver said some version of, like, hot pennies. I don't know. I don't want to curse on the show. And so he slammed on the gas. And the bomb, uh, the the guy who threw it forgot that the bomb had a 10-second delay. (gasps) So it fell off the bumper and hit a car of completely innocent people who happened to be behind the Archduke. Mm. And this guy, Nadelko, had tuberculosis, right? Mm -hmm. And had already kind of decided this was going to be his last hurrah, a total suicide mission. So Mm -hmm. after throwing the bomb, he swallowed a cyanide pill. Uh, And to make certain that he died, he also, this isn't funny, but it's it's a little intense. It's it's rough. It's it's intense. He, He also jumped into a nearby river. Unfortunately, the pill did not work. It only made him sick. And the river he jumped into, because it was a dry season, was only a, a few centimeters deep. Now that is funny. And God. so he got dragged out of the river and arrested. Talk about a bad, bad day. Would it have been a better day if he had died? I mean, I don't know. We're, we're splitting hairs here. Bad day for him. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Now imagine you're one of the other conspirators who are trying to take this out. And, and you're, you're just wa- like, fuck. Well, you just watch all this go down. <laughs> you watch the bomb bounce, yeah. hit another car. Yeah. Uh-oh. Other dude grabs a cyanide, and then jumps off and then splats <laughs> into the shallow river. And people pull him out while he's throwing yeah. up. And you're just going, uh, uh-oh. And the crowd beat the living tar out of this man before the yeah. police got to him. So, yeah, you're watching this. Uh, these these other assassins are watching. They're depressed. They're upset. They wonder what they should do now. And I'm telling you guys, the God-honest truth, one of the terrorists, a 19-year-old named Gavrilo Princip, was like, forget this. I'm going to go get a sandwich. Yep. I don't care what you guys do. I'm going to get a sandwich. He walked to the local deli. To be fair, a lot of historians nowadays say that he knew the route the car would take and purposely went there to wait. But I like mm-hmm. imagining somebody getting frustrated and going to get a sandwich. Yeah. And meanwhile, the Archduke, who is understandably P.O.'d, uh, insist on continuing his journey, going to the hospital. They want to change the route for safety purposes, but nobody told the driver. Whoa. 
And to give a shout out to a fellow uh, podcast, uh, when we went to the NYC Podfest, we saw Aaron from Lore do a live reading of an unpublished, he hasn't done this as an episode story, involving this entire mm-hmm. fiasco mm-hmm. and a, uh, a haunted car. Um, man, I hope he releases that because that was the coolest story that he told great, that night. Yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, so on to further debacle. So no one told the driver about the change in uh, the plan. Um, the bodyguard noticed, told the driver, and the driver decided to turn around. Um, the street where they turned the car happened to have a deli. Oh, my goodness. Uh-oh. Here we go. What a coinky dink. And so it just so happened that as a particularly depressed assassin, a failed assassin, a would-be assassin, mm-hmm. walked out of the deli with his delicious confection. I wish I wish history knew what kind of sandwich. What kind of sandwich. I feel like sandwich history is, is sort of a lost... Uh, I feel like we can learn a lot from the sandwiches of history. Yeah, oh, definitely. absolutely. We the could sto- have known what was going on in this man's mind. Yeah, even the story of condiments is amazing. Totally. So he walks out of the deli with his mystery sandwich, and what should he see but the Archduke's very car, not 10 feet away from his delectable deli treat. His shame sandwich. Yes. The car was, at this point, stopping and attempting to reverse <laughs> directly in front of him. Mm-hmm. So what happened next, Matt? Uh, yeah, that's when he pulled out his gun and he fired two times. One, the the first shot hit Archduke and, and it, hit him in his neck. Mm-hmm, in his jugular. jugular. Yeah, so he was going to be done. And the second one hit the Archduke's pregnant wife in her stomach. And just to go back to the lore thing, and, and a big part of this guy's story is the unreliable narrator. So part of the, right. the, the point of the story, as he told it, was wasn't clear mm-hmm. if everything was true. But... I like this detail, the idea that this kid basically blind-fired into a crowd Mm -hmm. and, like, managed to, like, pop off these two deadly shots. And he attempted to swallow a cyanide pill as well. This one also did not work. Where are they getting these cyanide pills? From a person who's really bad at making cyanide pills. Yeah, seriously. At discount cyanide store. So as he raised his gun to his temple, the deed was done. Six Semper Tyrannus and all that, so he's ready to take his own life. But authorities intervened, arrested him before he could shoot himself. Imagine a hand grabbing the wrist, and now it just fires into the air. And they, of course, beat the ever-loving Christ out of the guy. Uh, But they kept him alive, and they kept him in jail. And that's when we saw the immediate aftermath. Things escalated. This is when you start to see the conspiracy begin to be exposed to the mm-hmm. authorities, mm-hmm. Uh, or at least officially, and the right people are starting to see it. The inevitable events were all set in motion. So Germany and Austria-Hungary demanded a, a massive investigation into what exactly happened, how did this happen, and who was involved. And the Serbian prime minister gave zero, since we're a family show, I'll say Franks. Yep, zero francs. He gave zero francs about it. He literally told them that not only did he not know anything about this plot, but that, quote, nothing had been done so far, and the matter did not concern the Serbian government. Ooh. Germany asked Russia to intercede. Russia was like, eh. Nah. Yeah. So, then, on 23rd of July, Austria-Hungary issued a letter with 10 demands to ensure the destruction of the anti-Austrian network in Serbia. Um, This document became known as the July Ultimatum, and here are a few choice excerpts. So, they cited earlier international agreements respecting sovereignty and peaceful relations. Mm -hmm. Uh, They also gave Serbia 48 hours to respond, so they put a clock on that biz. And then Serbia accepted all but one demand Um, which was to allow Austrian military investigators into Serbian territories. But it turns out there was another conspiracy at play here. Austria, you see, Austria-Hungary, had absolutely no intention of accepting anything. Uh, They were set to reject whatever response Serbia gave, and they were doing this because Germany wanted a full-scale war, and this was the perfect opportunity. On July 28th, Austria-Hungary declared war. Hold on, you're saying Germany wanted to start a world war? History's long. Hmm, it is indeed. Why don't we hear a quick word from our sponsor? Yeah. 
Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zigazoo is moderated by real live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. Oh, <laughs> I especially love the dance challenges. So much fun. Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. All oh, my friends love it. I love that it's kids safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then... You found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was uh, tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life. And you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. Five to six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very of all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. <laughs> like, what did we do? It's so slow. Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. And we're back. Now, multiple multiple shows have examined World War One in various facets. There have mm -hmm. been many wonderful books written about it. When I say wonderful, I don't mean they're a joy to read. I mean they're very well written. Yeah, they're full of information. So we're looking at just this small conspiracy, this this powder keg, right? And rather than the war entire. So our big question is what became of the black hand. So there were multiple conspirators involved in this fiasco and they were exposed. So they were caught and they served prison time or were executed. So then towards the end of 1916, the prime minister of Serbia decided the hand had outlived its usefulness and resolved to destroy the organization. Yeah, but it seems like such a difficult thing to do once all of those tendrils have been released and the cells exist separately, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, you can cut off the head, you know, you can cut off one head of a multi-headed yeah. monster and, you know. Send a message. Hail least. Hydra. Ooh. So by 1917, this prime minister had arrested a lot of the, the leaders, like you said. You, you start taking out the people who are making decisions, mm -hmm. including Apis. The leader of the Black Hand was subjected to a real-life kangaroo court. And a kangaroo court is much less fun than it sounds. Yep. A uh, kangaroo court is something where it's a, a, a farce rather than a real legal investigation. So despite the fact that he and his other co-conspirators were very obviously not the assassins of this other assassination attempt, um, he was convicted of it, and he, along with three colleagues, was executed by firing squad on the 26th of June, 1917. Mm. And for many, um, this this is a, a significant ending milestone in the story of the Black Hand. And 
increasingly as history continues, you know, this is further and further and further away from us now. If I've done the math right, no one listening to our show was around when this happened. I don't want to pigeonhole anybody. So if you were there firsthand, if you used to hang out at a sandwich shop in Sarajevo, let us know. But right now, I mean, we're joking a little bit, but right now it leads us to the immediate question, which is why should we still remember this story? Well, because really this is just one example of how easily this thing that we call civilization, all of the organization, all of the uh, the working together and the economies and all of this, how easily it can collapse in on itself with one small little thing because of disagreements between groups of people. Mm-hmm. And there's a big, big difference today. Our species possesses weapons of war capable of flattening the planet and damn near everything on it. And we're literally, we could be one wrong turn away from that. Yikes. And you have to imagine this black hand that was operating inside this government, right? Um, In all parts of it, or a lot of various different parts, you have to imagine today, if you look at, we're just going to, I'm going to use the United States government and military as an example, because that's where we are. But if there are small cells, splinter groups that believe very whole, wholeheartedly a certain way, believe that, uh, just as an example, that the United States should break up again and turn into independent states, right? You have a small group of operatives mm-hmm. who exist, and they're in high places, they're in low places, they're strategically placed throughout the government and the military. That is a possibility. That's a hypothetical, complete mm-hmm. hypothetical. But that kind of thing could exist anywhere. And when you bring into play, like you said, Ben, our technology to destroy the world, it's mm-hmm. pretty terrifying. Yeah, it's uh, it's the the problem is not that it's possible; it's that it's plausible. Mm-hmm. You know, and then uh, no, I think you raised a great point when you said. It's almost it, it's almost certain that there's some version of this somewhere mm-hmm. that exists now yeah. with access to weapons that people in World War I could not imagine. So if those groups exist, and we're not saying that we have proof that they do, but if they exist, what are they up to? For now, that's the stuff they don't want you to know. And we'd like to know what you think about this. What lessons can we learn from the black hand? Do you have... Have you heard any theories in your neck of the global woods about the activities of any similar group? And speaking of hearing from you, that reminds me, it's time for... Shout out corners. Our first shout out comes from Linnell. I hope I'm saying that right, Linnell. If I'm not, I just said it twice incorrectly. Linnell says, Hi Ben, Matt, and Noel. I've enjoyed your show for some time and finally had an excuse to write in. I am a chemist working for a small chemical company, and for many years, one of my primary jobs was to answer questions from customers. I got a call several years ago from a man with a heavy accent looking for red mercury. Mm. I had never heard of this, and the man did not give much of an explanation about what he was looking for. The name didn't make sense to me as a chemist, and the call, it remained a mystery until I listened to your episode. Now I wonder if I had a conversation with a would-be terrorist. Oh, and Linnell says, uh, love the show. Please continue exploring the strange ideas out there. Thank you so much, Linnell. Yeah, it's interesting to hear from someone with first-hand experience of getting a call for red mercury. Yeah. You know, and I'm still, I'm still on the fence about that one, guys. I don't, you know, is it all a shaggy dog story? I am still not sure. So thank you so much for writing in, Linnell. And our next our next letter arrives from Jenna. She says, hi, guys. I love the podcast, but something really bothered me about the last episode's shout-out corner. I listen to the podcast because you often examine things from multiple sides. The letter you read about vaping did not do that. It encouraged people to deny that vaping is dangerous. That is a conspiracy and to not believe their doctors. That is not all the sides. My father and I fought about his smoking my entire life. And a couple of years ago, he was excited to have almost quit entirely due to vaping. Only a few months later, he died, and I was devastated. It was two days before Christmas. The cause of death was not being able to fight off pneumonia due to popcorn lung, something that happens when you smoke vapors. 
I was so happy he had quit and it killed him. Please, please, please let people know that there are two sides to this issue and vaping can kill you. Could the tobacco industry be trying to shut it down? Of course, I'm sure they are. But the reality is that vaping is just as dangerous as tobacco. I would not want someone else to lose their father because I said nothing. My father and I loved history and conspiracy theories. I'm gutted to have found your podcast after he died. He would have loved it. And I thank you for getting me through really hard times. But please, when it comes to issues like this, present both sides. Thank you, Jenna. Wow. Uh, that's terrible, Jenna. Sorry that that happened to your father. That's a reaction to a letter from a previous episode where someone wrote to us saying that they think vaping is a conspiracy. Yes. Uh, and just to jump in here, I did a little bit of research on this, uh, further research, and it appears that a lot of the issues with vaping arise from certain food additives that yeah, are meant for flavoring. Right. And it exists usually in... Uh, fruity flavors mm -hmm. and it's not as common it's not as common as the chem like the deadly chemicals are that exist in cigarettes mm -hmm. right but it's still a problem and there's no doubt that when the vape phenomenon kind of hit full bore that there wasn't as much oversight of these various oh, products and additives sure. as the cigarette industry obviously has to deal with. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of early adopters and not a lot of research that was available as to what the actual implications of mm -hmm. using this. People just automatically assumed that it's not carcinogenic because it's not, you know, it's not cigarettes. It's not, um, You're not burning carbon. carbon monoxide right. in your lungs. But there's not a 50-year study yet. Well, yep. And yeah. as we see little things trickle out, whether it's this popcorn lung study or whether it's other, you know, uh, side effects of vaping, mm -hmm. it takes time, you yep. know, and the cigarette industry has been around for a long time. So it's the kind of thing where we certainly wouldn't have intentionally said one was better than the other. It's mm -hmm. just a matter of like kind of rolling the dice with anything you put in your body, right? It's, yeah. And we really appreciated your letter, Jenna, and we wanted to get it out there because so often when something is a, a newer technology and like the public eye, mm -hmm. people tend to, um, I don't want to say deify it, but they tend to look at it through rose tinted glasses. Yes. Totally. You it's know, like, this is the, oh, this is the safe alternative to cigarettes. Because right, it's fixing right. a problem, right? A lot of new technologies are meant to make a slight adjustment on a problem that exists. And then you got marketing that just doubles down on that. Absolutely. Effect, you know, so, uh, yeah. yeah, it's, I, I, it's, it's definitely a tricky territory and I'm, I'm, I'm sure no one intended to come across as promoting right. anything like that. Yeah. And as, as we always say, listeners, uh, your choices of course are your own. It is not within our purview to tell anyone what to do, but we do want to assure people that a lot of advertisements are meant to sell something to you rather than educate you. Thank you for writing in, Jenna. And then finally, we have a shout-out from Dave. Um, he says, in your episode about Red Mercury, you guys wondered why bother to make fake stamps. Yes, oh, Dave, <laughs> oh, my hero, tell me about what this. What is the profit margin in that? Well, aside from use on postage, mass mailing, stamps were once used as a cash substitute. I personally prefer seashells. That's me, Noel Brown, talking, not Dave. Um, accepted by a lot of mail order concerns for low-dollar transactions. Oh, okay. you know, that's funny. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I can see that, and I think I've heard that before. I think I've heard that before. Yeah, totally. That's cool. So, mm -mm. then, in a letter to the New York Times on October tenth, eighteen sixty-two, Postmaster James Wakefield stated that Congress had authorized quote postal currency to be issued through the Treasury Department, which later evolved into postal money orders. Mm. So, at first, postal currency was issued in set dollar amounts, and it was common to use stamps to make up the cents. Uh, in addition, the Treasury did not provide the post office with sufficient notes for the need, although the postmaster noted that postage stamps are made available for the prepayment of postage only. There were few options. So this unauthorized use led to the trade of postage stamps, even though their only endpoint redemption came when used 
to mail a letter or package. Interesting. Um, and that's why you should all use stamps.com to mail <laughs> your letters or packages. We use it around here. Boy, that, do we that ever. was also Noel Brown at the end. Boy, that wasn't Dave. Boy, do we ever. So a black market for stamps, right, with the Kansas All Dave, back to Dave, I'm speaking as Dave, channeling Dave, a black market for stamps with the cancellation stamp washed off, developed both for trade and for postage, being used until they were too damaged or dirty. So stamps were never printed on special currency paper or with extra security measures, making counterfeiting easy. Uh It's hard to believe for us, but small fortunes could be made on what was basically penny postage. Dave, that was glorious on so many levels. What a fantastic letter. Just a history nugget. Stamp fraud's a real thing. (laughs) (laughs) There's a stamp tycoon out there. That's why you should use Uh, (laughs) stampfraud.com for all your postal fraudulent, (laughs) for all your fraudulent postage needs. I really want to know what Dave does for a living. He teaches people amazing facts. <laughs> uh, that's true. Thank you very much to Dave, Jenna, and Linnell. This concludes our... And if you want to be like Dave and Linnell and Jenna and send us some information, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook where we are Conspiracy Stuff. You can share images with us and look at pictures of Ben hanging out in the studio on our Instagram account. Or still, uh, Noel had some great pictures from uh, an excursion to D.C. Yeah, worth checking out. And yeah. a book about Tesla I saw that you posted on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had a book about Tesla that uh, showed up. We are Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram. Check us out there. If you don't want to do any of those things and you just want to write to us, please send us an email. We are conspiracy at howstuffworks.stampfraud. You want <laughs> Conspiracy at HowStuffWorks.com Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscore team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast.